This is Mount Moriah Baptist Church. Powhatan, Virginia, you say, where in the world is Powhatan? It's between Richmond and Charlottesville. West of Richmond, about halfway right between Richmond and Charlottesville, if you're familiar with Route 64 that runs east to west through Virginia. We're about a half a mile or half an hour south of that, a little bit south of uh, Route 60. My wife tells people you go to the middle of nowhere and then you go half an hour more, and that's where we are. We are really in the country. One of my favorite places is always my front porch. I like to have my coffee and my Bible and do our morning manna devotionals from the front porch. And the other morning, we had four deer standing in one corner of my yard. I had two bear in my backyard just the night before. We have fox, and then we had a skunk. <laughs> Matter of fact, the skunk and a black cat were playing together. That was an interesting scenario. I was not about to move off of the porch to cause any, any problem there. But Mount Moriah Baptist Church was started in 1850. We're 171 years old. In case you're wondering, I was not the founding pastor. <laughs> we actually had circuit riding preachers until the 1950s. One of Robert E. Lee's captains was our pastor for 47 years after the war between the states. He's buried in our cemetery. They had circuit riders all until the 1950s, and, uh, but we just celebrated 171 years there as a church, and God has been good, God has been faithful, He's allowed my wife and I to serve there for the, just started our 19th year there in Powhatan. These are our five children that Ken mentioned, Tommy is the oldest, and then the blonde beside me is Christina, the one beside her is Kimberly, and the one on the far right is Rachel, our fourth child, will live 25 hours. She's in heaven, Charity Nicole. And, uh, but we are thankful for the children, but we are extremely thankful for the grandchildren. This is last Thanksgiving, and we try to get together either, either at Thanksgiving or Christmas time. There is one that you cannot see. She's hiding behind me, and we did not realize she was hiding until after we finished the pictures. But I did get the children to send the pictures of them. You can see up in the top corner, that's my son's five boys. There is not a quiet moment in his house. <laughs> Eleven, nine, six, and identical twins that are just turned five. We spent yesterday in Charlotte uh, with them. We do not stay there. We get a hotel when we're in the area. <laughs> Tommy has the five boys, Charlotte, North Carolina. Christina has three girls, lives over on the eastern shore, Chincoteague, where they build rockets and missiles into the space station. Then Kimberly, the four girls there in the bottom at the beach, that's our daughter who lives close to us. And uh, she has an 18-year-old in college and then a six-year-old. And then the two boys in the bottom are Rachel's uh, two boys. We are truly thankful for God's blessing upon our family. I am too glad to have mom here. Mom only has 26 grandchildren, and I think it's 33 greats now, 33 greats. And um, I'm sure, like you, we can show you as many pictures as you'd like to see and make you sick of seeing all those pictures. But it is truly an honor to be here. This is sort of full cycle for me. The Wilds opened in 1969. I remember Dr. Hay coming to our church 
to tell us about getting the camp started. In 1969, they had a week of junior camp, and I was one of the first campers that first week. Matter of fact, we did not have running water in the bathrooms. We took showers in the creek, and uh, it was a powerful time. I have incredible memories of this fireplace room. Uh, came every year as a junior, came every year as a teenager. One year, Dr. Hay met my parents in the parking lot when they came to pick me up after the first week, and Dr. Hay said, we're starting a new ministry called Counselor in Training. He said, I want Tom to come back. So I came back, I was in the first group of Counselor in Trainings. Came a youth pastor and brought young people, came to youth fitness camp, came to music camp. Then as a pastor, I began bringing people. Our church supports the wild, supports camps abroad. We brought work teams down here. And now, full cycle, I'm at the senior adult <laughs> camp. And um, just uh, so many decisions, so many spiritual heroes. I was introduced to men like Tom Farrell, Rock Royer. Major Ron Brooks, Dr. Stuart Custer, Dr. Fremont. I remember sitting with my feet over that balcony there many times as a, as a young boy. I remember sitting the night that Dr. Hay would always do the talk with the boys. Mrs. Hay would do the talk with the girls. Those challenges. I, I cannot exp I'm sorry. I cannot express the gratitude of my heart enough for the ministry of the wilds, for the staff, uh, staff members like uh, Jerry Dean and Dave Stratton and Ken Collier, and just to name a few, that have impacted my life. In a tremendous, tremendous way, I say thank you to the Lord. Thank you to this ministry. And thank you for, to those who have made it happen. You know, it takes supporters. It takes prayer warriors. It takes men and ladies like you. You know, we have raised our children. We are watching our grandchildren now. We have opportunity to impact their lives in a powerful way powerful way. And we're here together this week at this senior adult conference. We have reached that age. That age when our mind or our body can always not fulfill what our mind orders. I can't dunk the basketball anymore, although I think I can. I can't play shortstop or third base like I used to be able to do. There are maybe even areas of ministry where you used to be able to serve, but you're not able to do that anymore. We're at a stage where we have aches and pains in places we didn't even realize existed. Instead of running the taxi service for our children, we're now driving back and forth from one doctor to the next specialist, and that's what fills our calendar. There are then times that our, even our mind fails us. We get in the middle of trying to say something or talk to somebody and 
we can't remember who they are. I read about some children that were visiting a nursing home. And the lady who was showing them around asked the children, do you have any questions? And one little girl raised her hand and she said, yes, ma'am, how old are you? The lady very proudly said, I'm 98. The girl's eyes got real wide and she said, did you start at one? (laughs) Having trouble wrapping her mind around that. These can be times of loneliness. They can be times of discouragement frustration. But you know, they can also be some of the most fruitful and wonderful times of ministry if we'll allow God to use that wisdom and maturity that he's grown us in to impact the lives of others. The Daily Bread devotional book had an article entitled, The Most Rewarding Time of Life. And they said this, for those who have found the satisfaction of a loving and close relationship with the Heavenly Father through faith in His Son, the sunset years can be more appropriately labeled the golden years. Henry Durbanville felt that way. He wrote a book entitled, The Best is Yet to Come. And he wrote this, and I quote, I feel so sorry for folks who don't like to grow old. He said, I revel in in my years. They enrich me. He said, I would not exchange the abiding rest of the soul, the measure of wisdom I have gained from the sweet and the bitter and the, compl- and the perplexing experiences of life, nor the confirmed faith that I now have in the love of God for all the bright and the uncertain hopes and the tumultuous joys of youth. He continued, he said, these are the best years of my life. The way grows brighter. The birds sing sweeter, the winds blow softer, the sun shines more radiantly than ever before. And then he concluded this way, and I think we can relate to this. He said, I I suppose my outward man is perishing, but my inward man is being joyously renewed day by day. Amen. Amen. And that an encouraging word for us. Robert McQuilkin wrote, God planned the strength and beauty of youth to be physical, but the strength and beauty of age to be spiritual. He also said we gradually lose the strength and beauty that is temporary so that we'll be sure to concentrate on the strength and the beauty that is forever. Yeah, things change. Our bodies change. Our minds change. Relationships change. Our roles and responsibilities change. But I want to tell you this evening, God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can take great comfort in that. And what I'd like really to focus on this week is I want you to realize that God has left us here for a reason. A few years ago, one of our ladies went to be with the Lord, and she was 105. Her name was Ma Bess. She had gotten to the place where she just simply said what she thought. 
sometimes I would come in church and she said, I don't like your knot in your tie. And I said, my, my best, what's wrong with my knot? She said, it's too tiny. I said, do you see how tall I am? They don't make ties that tall that you can tie a huge knot and be able to cover your belly. She said, okay. But every time I visit her, she said, I don't understand why God has left me here. I said, my best, God has a purpose for you. God has a ministry for you. And I want to tell you this evening, God has a purpose for leaving you here. God has a ministry for you. No matter what your limitations are, no matter what your health is, no matter what your uh, circumstances are, God has a, and I like to say it this way, God has a mission for you that is possible for you to accomplish. I think all of us remember the television series Mission Impossible. Dum, 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 dum. And then we'd hear these words. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. I want to tell you this week, some areas that God has given you and me a mission. And we need to accept it. We need to embrace it. And we need to say, by God's grace and with God's strength, I'm going to continue to serve him and I'm going to continue to invest in lives. I'm going to continue to pour into lives as long as God gives me breath, as long as God gives me the ability to do that. The burden of my heart is to take some Bible examples and some powerful truth this week and encourage your hearts with what God has for us. I hope you got a copy of the notes. If you like to keep notes and the outline, obviously we're on that one this evening that says mission impossible encourager. My mother looked at the outline and she said, son, did you realize you repeated yourself five times? I said, yes, ma'am, because I understand the older we get, sometimes we need the repetition to be able to remember what was said. But I want to give you five truths about a biblical encourager. And I want to encourage you that God can use you as an encourager in somebody else's life. And your mission tonight is to accept being an encourager. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the music. Lord, our hearts have just been encouraged but Lord, I pray now as we open the pages of Scripture that your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Acts chapter 4? We're going to be in the book of Acts tonight. All right, let me just whet your appetite a little bit. Tomorrow morning and Thursday morning for the first session, we're going to spend some time focusing on what the ladies sang about tonight, about who God is. We're going to look at some Psalms. Trust you'll come with your hearts prepared uh, for that. I love focusing on the, magna, on the greatness of who our God is, the goodness of who our God is, and encouraging us in those things. You know the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit's record of the work of Jesus Christ 
in the lives of the apostles in the establishing the church. It is still the work of Jesus Christ. Luke says that in the very first part of the chapter. What Jesus began to say and to do. And how that continued in the lives of the apostles and the early church through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Chapter 1, Christ ascends. The 120 gather for a prayer meeting. And at the end of that prayer meeting, chapter 2 happens and we call that the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit of God came upon them and they preached so that every man heard in their own tongue and 3,000 are saved that day. Preacher, can you imagine 3,000 getting saved on one day? We'd have our hands full, wouldn't we? And so did the, the early church at Jerusalem. Right? We come to chapter 3. They're continuing to preach and to heal in the name of Jesus. You know, Peter goes there to the temple, and you know the whole story there. Then we come to chapter 4. And the priests and the religious leaders and the Sadducees are not happy that Jesus Christ is being preached as resurrected from the dead. And they arrest Peter and John and Alexander. Said, so you guys got to quit that. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than man. And, and they, they leave, and Peter goes back and he gives a report to the believers in the church here in, in chapter 4. And I want you to pick up the reading with me in verse 24, please. And when they heard that, when the church heard the report, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that therein, all that in them is. And we have this prayer, and what do they do? They begin by magnifying God. And then I want you to jump down to verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that they all may be delivered from any further persecution. Oh, that's not what he said, is it? They ask God to give them boldness, that they may speak the word boldly, in the face of the persecution, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the, thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, I love this, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. The multitudes of them that were believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. With great power gave the, whole, they gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and bought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. There is so much in there that we can stop and focus on. But what I want to focus on are the next two verses. Verse 36, and Joseph, we would say Joseph, who by the apostles were, was surnamed Barnabas. Holy Spirit, what do you mean by that? Which is being interpreted the son of consolation. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' 
feet. I invite you to look tonight at this man named Barnabas who was an encourager everywhere he went. You read the book of Acts and you find Barnabas and Barnabas and Barnabas. He is an encourager. By the way, the word son of consolation means encourager. That word consolation means somebody who comes along beside and helps to support. Do you know it's the same word that the Holy Spirit of God uses to describe himself? John chapter 14, John chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul said, I pray that you would be comforted, that's the same word, with the consolation, same word, with which we have been comforted in the past. How is that? By the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Barnabas was an encourager. And I want you to jot down the first characteristic, encouragers are committed to meeting needs. He was a Levite. He was generous. He was anxious to meet the needs. He had already earned this reputation. It said they had already renamed him. What they knew about him already was that he was an encourager and he loved meeting needs. You know, somebody that loves meeting needs has to be able to understand what those needs are. He has to be able to listen. He has to be able to look. He has to be observant. I jotted down three characteristics. He must be selfless. He must be sensitive. And he must be sacrificial. We need to get our focus off of our own selves and allow the Holy Spirit of God to open our eyes to the needs of others. I probably don't need to remind us, but we live in a day where people are struggling. People are hurting. And I don't just mean physically or financially. I mean emotionally. I mean spiritually. We had a 10th grader commit suicide in Powhatan High School last Friday morning. Our teenagers came to church Sunday hurting. Teen suicide has skyrocketed over the last 18 months. You have people in your church who have some needs that God may be allowing you to meet. You see, sometimes we get so focused on what we're trying to accomplish. I, I, I'm bad about this. I have a precious wife who helps remind me all the time. But I can get so focused on ministry that I sometimes fail to see the people and the needs that we're supposed to be ministering to. God has worked in my heart over the, over the years about that. But sometimes we get so streamlined. You know, this is what I got to do. Got to do this today. Don't bother me with somebody's needs. Don't, don't bother me with somebody needs me to call them or somebody needs me to visit them. Right? That's wrong. That's a wrong attitude. And if you and I are going to be encouragers, we must learn to meet needs. And what I mean, we need to be intentional about it. We need to determine we're going to get our, our focus off of us and our eyes on those around us. What, what about the people in my Sunday school class? What about my neighbors? What about the people that I work with or the people that I see when I go to the store, to the, to the uh, restaurant? My wife and I were in um, Charleston, West Virginia not long ago, and we had had a service, and we went into the restaurant, and it was about quarter till 10. 
And I knew it was getting time for them to close. And the waitress, the, the hostess was very gracious. And I said, can we still eat? And she said, yes, please come in. So we did. We sat down. And the waitress, when she came over, she tried to have a smile on her face. And she tried to be encouraging that she was there to serve us. But I just looked at her and I said, you're exhausted, aren't you? And she just said, you don't even know. I thought she was going to sit down at our table. She had had one of those days she had pulled a double shift. She had dealt with some people that weren't real kind that, that she was serving. And she just needed somebody to care. She just needed somebody to pray for her. She just needed somebody to give her an encouraging word. You know, Jesus gave the illustration in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan saw the need. The Good Samaritan went out of his way. The Good Samaritan sacrificed his time and his treasure to meet the needs of somebody who was hurting. He was inconvenienced. Are you ever tempted not to help somebody because it would be an inconvenience? We can be real transparent here. We're, we're among friends, okay? But somebody who's serious and intentional about the ministry of encouragement is looking for opportunities to meet needs. Can I give you this challenge? What, what about if every one of us started praying every morning? Lord, would you bring somebody into my life today that I can be a blessing to? You think God might answer that kind of prayer? I think so. Lord, would you bring somebody into my life that I can share Christ with today? You think God would answer that prayer? Yeah, I think we're praying in the will of God when we pray along those lines. We need to learn and be focused on meeting needs. Now, you know, that may be as simple as a phone call. I've learned that sometimes when the Holy Spirit of God lays somebody on my heart, I need to respond immediately. I need to pick up the telephone and call them. Maybe it's taking them a meal. Maybe it's, and I know we're in the 21st century now, maybe it's writing them a note by hand and putting it in the mail. We have a dear lady in our church, and she can't do it now, but for many, many years, she has handmade birthday cards and anniversary cards and sent them out to every one of our church family and every one of our missionaries. And I have people call me or email me all the time and say, Pastor, thank you so much for the birthday card. And I said, you're welcome, but I didn't have anything to do with it. We have some dear, and we now have some more dear ladies who have taken that as a ministry. You know what encouragement that is? Somebody goes to the mailbox and there's actually a handwritten note. Woo, imagine that. Maybe it's going by to visit them. Meeting needs is challenge number one. I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we see Barnabas a second time. And again, you know the story of chapter 9. Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Ananias comes and he says, God is going to use you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And then he spends some time there with them. And you see in verse 19, he was strengthened and Saul certain days was with the disciples there at Damascus. 
Straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But look at verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed. You know, they were scratching their heads. Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? Isn't this that guy that's been arresting and persecuting Christians? And now word's gotten out that he has gotten saved? Can we really believe that? They were a little bit suspicious. Right, and he continues to preach, verse 22, he increased more in strength. Verse 23, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. The Jews said apparently his meeting with Jesus was real. He's now taken the side of these Christians and we need to do away with him. But Verse 24, but their laying await was known unto Saul, oh Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, let him down by the wall in a basket. Have you ever let your spiritual imagination just, just loose on that? Here's Saul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. One commentator said he probably had the equivalent of four earned PhDs in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. And now he's being identified with this group of ignorant and unlearned fishermen and tax collectors. And he's having to leave the city in a basket. Verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself unto the disciples, but they were afraid of him. And they believed not that he was a disciple. Paul is, a, is at a very lonely place in his, or Saul is at a very lonely place in his life. The Jews hate him. The believers are amazed by him, but they're afraid of him, and they don't want anything to do with him yet. But I want you to look at the next verse, but Barnabas. Here he is again. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and out of Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would you jot it down? Secondly, this way, encouragers are committed to befriending the lonely. Befriending the lonely. Barnabas said, come here, Saul. I'm going to be your friend even if nobody else is willing to. There are a lot of people around us today who are lonely. You have any new people in your church? Any new people in your neighborhood? Sometimes they come in to church you know, and say, oh, who's that new person back there? Never seen them before. Well, go back there. Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Tom Owens. How about coming to my house for lunch today? All right, he's ready. We planted a church out in California, Brother Tom. Our daughter Rachel is about three or four. Everybody who pulled up in the parking lot, she went out in front of the church and she went up to them and said, here, I have a seat for you. And she brought them right down on the second row. And what we didn't know for some time is she also invited them to lunch every Sunday. 
whoever visited was invited to come to lunch. You know, that's probably not a bad idea when we see somebody new in our church. Somebody new in the neighborhood, go over and introduce yourself. Find out who they are. Find out where they're from. Maybe find out some needs that they have and see if God would allow you to help to meet their needs. The, ministry, the mission, the ministry of every one of us should be to befriend those who are lonely. Take your Bible and go with me, please, to chapter 11, just a couple of chapters over. And I know we're hurrying through the life of Barnabas. And I want to prayerfully be able to just whet your appetite to go and do some more digging in this area. Here we again find Barnabas. Pick up the reading in verse 19 of chapter 11. Now they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. There was still this mindset among some that we're only going to take the gospel to the Jews. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the word. This group in Antioch was an interesting group. It was a mixed ethnic group, Greeks and Syrians and Africans and Jews. Their leadership was made up of a Levite and an African from Niger, an African from Cyrene, and a privileged member of society. And then look what Barnabas does. Verse 22, then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, and he went and got Saul. I jotted down thirdly, true encouragers are committed to building relationships, even with people that you don't understand. Even with people that are not like you. We realize, don't we, that every single person we meet is an image bearer of their creator. Every person we meet is an eternal soul that will live somewhere forever. Building relationships in order to share Christ with those who don't know him. I was at a meeting last week. One of the men that was introduced, his parents had come over from Iran. He got saved last Thursday night at a meeting we were at. He was received by these folks in this church service last Thursday night, and he realized there are some people here that are interested in my soul, not just in my background. Oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. The answer for America is not in the White House. It's not in the State House. It's not even in the schoolhouse. It's in the church house. The answer is the gospel. And the conduit through which God has chosen to take the gospel to the world today is the church. That's us. Building relationships for the purpose of being able to introduce them to Jesus Christ. We have some men in our church who coach in the little leagues and, and in, the, in the city system, the county systems. And they tell me, Pastor, one of the reasons I do that is because I'm trying to build relationships. 
to have an opportunity to share Christ. We had some folks come to church last week that if you would look at them, you were to say, I didn't ever think I'd see them in church. But it's because somebody built a relationship with them and brought them to hear the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you know people that your pastor will never have an opportunity to talk to unless it's because you build a relationship with them and bring them and introduce them. Encouragers are relationship builders. Stay in the same chapter, but I want you to look down a couple of verses a little bit lower, verse 25 and 26. He goes and he gets Saul, verse 25, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Would you jot down next? Biblical encouragers are committed to developing leaders. This is a fascinating part of Barnabas' life. Because in chapter 13, the church calls out, and I want you to notice the order here. They call out Barnabas and Saul to go on the first mission trip. And you read several times there that it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. What's Barnabas doing? He's discipling Saul. You get about in the middle of the chapter, and the Bible says that God changed Saul's name to Paul. And then shortly thereafter, you read that it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. He was such a servant that he was willing at the appropriate time to step back and let this new young leader step forward. Wow. You say, what's the key? Look at verse 24. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And because of that, much people were added to the church. Biblical encouragers focus on meeting needs. They focus on being true friends. They focus on building relationships. They focus on developing leaders. But I want you to come to one more passage here in Acts, and that's Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. They have finished the first missionary trip. They've come back and they've given a report to the churches. And Paul's ready to go again. And Paul says to to Barnabas, let's go on another mission trip. And Barnabas says, okay, but but I'm going to take John Mark with me. Look at the account here, verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. This is John Mark. He had been with him on the first mission trip. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. So Barnabas took Mark 
and sailed to Cyprus, Paul took Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the gospel of God. Would you jot down, fifthly, biblical encouragers are committed to restoring those who are fallen. They're committed not to kicking people while they're down, but to picking them up and restoring them to a place of service. Paul said, John Mark's a quitter. I'm not taking him with me. Barnabas said, okay. By the way, he didn't just say, okay. It was a strong contention. Let me not misquote scripture. Okay, there was a divide here. Barnabas was as strong-willed about taking John Mark as as Paul was about not taking him. But I believe with all my heart that Barnabas went with John Mark on that second missionary trip, maybe less for the trip and more for John Mark. And he did the same thing to John Mark that he had done in the early church, that he had done with young Saul. He now takes John Mark and he disciples him and he restores him to a place of service and a place of ministry. Sometimes we are not very good about encouraging people who have fallen. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We should never condone sin. We should never belittle sin. But sometimes when somebody has fallen, what they need is a brother or sister to come put their arm around them and to love them back to God. What does Galatians 6, 1 say the goal is? Restoration. The goal of church discipline is not to see how many we can kick out. The goal of church discipline is to restore them back into fellowship with God and with the church, to restore them to a place of usefulness. You say, how do you know John Mark did that? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. The last letter that Paul writes, that we have record of at least in Scripture. He writes again to his young preacher boy. He is in the Mamertine prison in Rome as he's writing this. The Mamertine prison is a horrendous dungeon. It's like a hole in the road where you would take the the street cover off and you would drop people down in there. Then you put the street cover back over it. I've been there. Matter of fact, I walked down the stairs that had been built to it and, and I had to duck because it's not even tall enough to get down. It's a concrete slab where Paul would have been able to sleep in and, and places where they would have chained him. And Paul in this last letter says these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Take who? That's John Mark. Take Mark and bring him with thee for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Barnabas 
went and put his arm around him, took him on this mission trip. And the end of Paul's life, would you bring him to me? He's profitable. He's useful. He's beneficial to me. Why? Because of the ministry of Barnabas. The ministry of the encourager. Let me see if I can summarize it this way this evening. Biblical encouragers are focused on servanthood, friendship, discipleship, and restoration. Biblical encouragers are characterized by commitment, compassion, and courage. Biblical encouragers are devoted and determined and discerning. They know when to confront. They know when to love. They know when to speak the truth in love. They know when to pick up the telephone and make a phone call. God has allowed you and me to live, to learn, and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ for the years that he has given us. Matter of fact, let me ask you this. How many of you here this evening have been saved at least 20 years? Can I see your hand? If you've been saved at least 30 years, would you keep your hand up? If you've been saved at least 40 years, would you keep your hand up? How about 50? I have to lower mine. I just, I just celebrated my 49th spiritual birthday. Any 60 years? Wow. 70? Wow. I believe you said, sir, you're 88. Is that right? 88 years old. God bless you. My father-in-law was here a couple years ago. He was 89 when he was here. By the way, he went on the zip line <laughs> at 89. I'm not, I'm not kidding. But, but, but I want you to hear me. You look around, there is spiritual maturity and wisdom represented in this room. God is still giving you breath. God is still giving you the ability to be an encourager. No matter what your health issues are, no matter what your, your background is, no matter what your limitation is, you can encourage somebody. You can write a note. You can make a phone call. You can go make a visit. You can pick somebody up and take them to church. Or maybe you say, hey, I need you to pick me up and take me to church so you can encourage them on the way. God has given us a mission. The mission I want you to focus on tonight is a mission as an encourager. Again, in the TV series, they said your mission, if you choose to accept it, is. My challenge is choose to accept it. It's from God. Embrace it and enjoy it. You'll bring joy to the heart of God, and you'll be a blessing to those who you pour your life into for God's glory. Would you bow your heads with me this evening?
maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know, I can't honestly say, I couldn't raise my hand that I've been saved for any length of time because there's never been a time in my life that I came to Christ as my Savior. May I just very clearly say this evening that God loves you. That he sent his son to die for you. That he'd love to forgive your sins. To cleanse your heart. And to give you eternal life with him. If you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, we'd love this week for it to become the time of your salvation. Any of us here would love to talk with you, take a Bible and show you how that can happen. Christian friend, let me ask you, did God lay somebody on your heart tonight that you need to be intentional about trying to disciple and trying to encourage? Maybe God laid somebody on your heart that has some real needs that God has enabled you to be able to meet. The Bible actually says if I know somebody has a need and God's given me the ability to meet the need and I don't do it, it is sin. Would you right now just allow the Holy Spirit of God to put someone's name on your heart or face in your mind? Is there somebody that God has burdened your heart for tonight that needs a true friend? Maybe they're lonely because of the death of a spouse. Or something traumatic has happened in their life. They need a true friend. Is there somebody God has brought into your life lately that may be a little bit different? But God has convicted you tonight that you need to try to build a relationship with them. To help bring them to Christ or help strengthen them in their walk with Christ. What about this matter of finding somebody to help develop as a leader? Every one of us ought to be involved in the ministry of discipleship. Every one of us at our age ought to be finding somebody that we're pouring our life into. Would you allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring somebody to your heart and mind this evening? Maybe God has brought somebody to your mind that needs to be restored. They're hurting because nobody really has tried to love them back to Christ. Heavenly Father, none of us know all the needs represented here tonight, but you do. And so our prayer is that your Holy Spirit would do the work that is needed Lord, may we surrender our will to your will. And may we accept the mission of becoming a God-honoring encourager for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.